you can turn your Bibles or to the front of your bulletin, uh, we're going to uh, read Acts chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that, their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give, any, to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. A few months ago, uh, the deacons wanted me to preach on church membership, and I said I would get to it. So finally, uh, we're, we're, getting, we're getting to it. wanted to finish that last uh, sermon series on uh, aliens and strangers. So this is uh, one time, why, why join a church? Why join here in Baptist Church? Why be a member of a church? And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, the first thing... If you go to the next slide there, Lynn. Uh, the first thing that you have there underneath uh, here in Baptist Church on your page is a, a covenant. And a covenant is uh, what you are saying that you will do to others and what you're committing to uh, with other people. And uh, our church has this covenant. And uh, when you take the membership class, uh, this is one of the things you look at because you are committing yourself to it. And uh, if you're not a member, uh, this is what we expect from you. And if you are a member, you should be doing this. And uh, uh, you'll see that it's, it's uh, pretty basic. Uh, this is a very common covenant among Baptist churches. Uh, I was looking at some on the Internet. Even Baptist churches in the States would use this. Um, it is not new. It's not just us. Uh, this, is, this is very common, what uh, you are committing to when you become a member. And uh, notice that our church covenant, there are basically uh, four sections. First of all, the first section is you're believing in Jesus and you're being baptized. Those are requirements for membership in a church. And almost every church has those as requirements, belief and baptism. Uh, secondly, commitment to the church. That's the second paragraph, and we'll look at, look at that in a second. Thirdly, commitment to a holy lifestyle. It's the third paragraph. Fourth, commitment to one another. And, of course, we're doing this for the glory of God. So notice uh, underneath the covenant having been led by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. In other words, we're not initiating this. The Holy Spirit's initiating this. 
That's why we come to Christ. The Holy Spirit works in our life. We hear his voice. We hear him saying, this is what you should be doing. And that's why we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Uh, it's his voice and it's, and it's his working in our life. To receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and on the profession of our faith, you've got to verbalize it. We'll ask you, do you believe in Jesus? Are you following Jesus? The answer, yes. And if the answer is no, this church is not for you. Having been baptized, immersed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I was just, uh, I just had a meeting a couple weeks ago with uh, the pastor at Trinity Anglican. And uh, we were talking about baptism. And uh, he was explaining uh, what Anglicans did with baptism, and I was explaining what Baptists did with baptism. And we were almost in agreement. But it's interesting the things that we did agree on. And one of the things that we agreed on with regard to baptism is that it must be Trinitarian. Baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's important. And uh, it's interesting that uh, there is a church in Canada, which I'm not going to name because I beat them up so much, <laughs> who no longer baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they baptize in the name, I forget the name of the Almighty, the Redeemer, and the Comforter, something like that. And uh, the idea is, is that uh, Father and Son... Uh, does not fly in today's world. It's patriarchal language and it's uh, sexist language. And so they've taken out Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But uh, I think it's important that God re reveals himself as Father. Uh, th those are important things. So baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We now enter into covenant one another as one body in Christ. So believing in Jesus and baptism, being baptized, are requirements. Secondly, commitment to the church. We commit ourselves, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to partake of the Lord's Supper. And if you are a member here and you don't partake of the Lord's Supper in a calendar year, you have no vote. And you cannot be transferred to another church. You're not in good standing. That's common. Uh, the Bible tells us we've got to partake of the Holy Lord's Supper. If you're not doing it, there's a problem. If you're a believer in Jesus. So partake of the Lord's Supper. Regularly attend services. Be subject to church discipline. We'll say more about that in a little bit. Support the church financially and prayerfully and to give of our time serving the church and helping the needy. I love that when uh, the Apostle Paul goes to meet, uh, meet the apostles in uh, Jer Jerusalem, and he's newly come to Christ, and he goes and he shares with them what Christ has revealed to him, what he thinks the gospel is. And uh, the apostles agree. Yes, we agree with that, but they said, don't forget the poor. And Paul goes, well, that was my idea anyways, that we shouldn't forget the poor. So we're not just tacking that on the end. 
it's, it's, it's the call of our church to uh, help the needy. Um, that's number two. So commitment to the church. Number three, commitment to a holy lifestyle. Third paragraph, we also commit to maintaining family and personal devotions to seek the salvation of our family members and our friends. Right? We need reminders about that. We will live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, abstaining from whatever is unbecoming to Christian character or causes a believer to stumble and bring reproach to the cause of Christ. That paragraph used to say abstaining from alcohol. Uh, most churches have changed that. It's hard to say we abstain from alcohol when you see the New Testament church drinking alcohol. So we're not called to abstain from alcohol. We're called not to be drunk with wine. Uh, number four, so commitment to a holy lifestyle. Number four, commitment to one another. We further commit to love one another, remember each other in prayer, and help one another in times of need. We will be slow to take offense, quick to seek reconciliation, obeying the scriptural method of solving personal offenses as stated in Matthew 18. Finally, we are committing ourselves to this covenant for the glory of God. It's a challenge. And uh, for members of Huron Baptist Church, hey, Let's make sure we're doing this. Now, let's go on to the next screen, Lynn. Um, let's see here. So we don't need that screen yet. No, there's no, yeah, you can go back if you want. So we're on number one, the purposes of the church from Acts chapter 2. That's the passage that was in your bulletin. And uh, I, don't have any, uh, I don't have any slides on this, but let's point these things out in the text. So first of all, Conversion and baptism are necessary before you can be added to the church. That's right in Acts, that's right in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the very first Christian message. This is the first Christian church. This is the establishment of the church. This is Pentecost, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The 120 are gathered in Jerusalem. They're waiting for the outpouring of the Spirit. The outpouring of the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. And then they're so filled with the Spirit of God, they go outside of where they've been gathered, and they're praising God in the city. And the people are astounded, and they're amazed. Some people are so astounded, they think they must be drunk. They're too happy this early in the morning. And they're too passionate this early in the morning. Surely they've been drinking. And Peter stands up to say, no, we're not drinking. This is the Spirit of God that's been poured out because Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. He's ascended to heaven and now he's poured out the Holy Spirit. That's why we're passionate for God. And then verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So the message is repent, turn from your sin and from yourself, believe in Jesus. Repent is what I turn from. Belief is what I'm turning to, and I'm turning to Jesus Christ. The way I show that is by being baptized. That's what that passage is saying. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And so that first day at Pentecost, when people came forward, they showed that they were becoming followers of Jesus by being baptized, and uh, that... uh, well, that was the first Baptist church. That's a joke. The first Baptist church did not happen until the 1600s. But we like to think that this was a Baptist church. Notice uh, verse uh, 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So they could, they're, they're, you could actually count how many people are part of the church. It had 120, and now they can count it. Here's all the people who are baptized, who have joined our, our ranks as followers of Jesus, and now we're 3,120, or 3,100, or whatever. Obviously, it's a round number, 3,000. So the point I have there is that conversion, conversion is... One minute, I am not a follower of Christ, and the next second, I am. It's a point-in-time change. Conversion and baptism are necessary before you can be added to the church. That's what a Baptist church is, okay? Letter B. So what does a church do? And I use a little anacronym there, wifey. W-I-F-E-E. And that comes from this passage. Uh, this, is, this is the purpose of a church. We worship, we instruct, fellowship, evangelize, and we express this through ministry. So those five things, that's, that's, what, a ch- that's, what, that's what a church should be doing, those five things. Or a simpler way to look at it is the church exists for God. So we do something Godward. We exist for one another, for our members, for the, for the body of Christ. And we do something for the world. Notice that. Notice these things in this passage, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So there's your instruction or discipleship devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, by the way, we're trying to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching still today. That's why we read our New Testament. That's from the apostles. That's why you have it. And so we read this every week. Isn't that right? Do we read it every week? How many of you have been here a week where we didn't read it? Yeah, I I I think we read our Bible every week. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, notice, and to fellowship. There's the fellowship. Building building relationships with one another. Becoming involved in each other's lives. To the breaking of bread, I think that's the Lord's table. That is worship. 
and to prayer. That's worship. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. That's an expression of ministry. All the believers were together. That's fellowship. And they had everything in common. I think that's fellowship and that's ministering to each other. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Some of us would like to see that verse taken out of there. <laughs> that's, what the church is, that's what the church is for, to help the needy. Uh, again, expression of ministry. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, fellowship, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, worship, and enjoying the favor of all the people, evangelism. When the church does everything else right, worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression of ministry, evangelism just spills out of it. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One of the best books ever written on the purposes of the church is The Purpose Driven Church by Rick Warren. A phenomenal book. Uh, but many people don't like it. I, I think the reason why they don't like it is they don't like the way he uses the purposes to change his church. So, for instance, Rick Warren would say, uh, we want to improve our worship of God, so we're going to get rid of our choir. And people read that, they go, well, I guess you've got to get rid of your choir to worship God. Well, Brooklyn Tabernacle... They take the same thing, we want to worship God, and they build their worship around the choir. You know, there's more, than, there's more than one way to accomplish your purpose. And so people read Rick Warren's, the way his church does it, in San Diego and Southern California, and guess what? You shouldn't have a church that looks like it belongs in Southern California, in, in Sarnia, Ontario. That would be weird. Okay, so you take those purposes and say, okay, what can our church do to improve worship so that we worship God? Do we need to spend more time in prayer? What can we do to improve fellows? I mean, discipleship and instruction? Do we need to memorize God's word? Do we need to have a special Saturday morning on a special topic? You know, there are all kinds of ways to look at those five things and say, where do we need to work? How, to, how, do, how can we do these things better? And by the way, this is one of the few books on the church that has a whole chapter on church membership. Uh, most churches don't talk, most, most books don't talk about church membership. Okay, let's see, where am I? Okay, that's number one. What should a church be doing uh, here in Baptist Church, trying to do those five things, uh, and we're constantly thinking, about how can we better do this? How can we better have fellowship among believers? How can we better do evangelism? How can we better express our gifts and putting them into practice? And how can we get more of you doing more of these things? Number two, Piper's five passages to prove necessity of church membership. And uh, this comes from John Piper. And he was asked the question, how can you prove church membership from the Bible? And he says, well, let me give you five quick passages. So I've got these on the screen because so, we're down to ten minutes, so we've got to fly. 
we got 10 minutes and 10 points. So five scriptural proofs. Number one, Matthew 18. This is the passage when uh, you and a brother have a problem and you see him sinning. And you go to him and say, I see there's a problem. And he says, hey, beat it. Uh, I don't have a problem. You have a problem. And so then you go and take a couple of others with you. And you try to figure it out. And uh, the person says, no, I still don't have a problem. I'm going to do what I want to do. Comes to this verse, verse 17. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church... Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And it seems that you're talking about a definable group. When you tell it to the church, you don't just tell it, to, hey, let's just gather together any people that we can find. It seems to be a definable group, and then you're actually going to remove them from that definable group. That's church membership. Go to the next screen. Passage number 2. 1 Corinthians 5. Let me just read the setting for this from 1 Corinthians 5. And then I've got the last few verses. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are proud. A church is proud that they allow sexual immorality. Wow. Wow. That's a strange one. They were actually proud of it. And they were proud of their tolerance. They were going, look how tolerant we are of this sexual immorality in our midst. And the Apostle Paul goes, you can't be proud of that. What should you do? This person should be kicked out of the church. So here's what he says. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? What's the answer to that question? Okay, seeing if you're awake most of you are too afraid to answer you don't have any business judging people outside the church <laughs> right no business are you not to judge those inside what's the answer to that yes yes that's why you've got to have church membership i can't judge those outside the church i can only judge those inside God will judge those outside. And then he says, what should you do? Expel the wicked person from among you. So there's an in-church group and an out-church group. You can be kicked out. That implies church membership. Number three. Go to the next slide there, Lynn. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Why join a church? How can you submit to leaders if you don't have any leaders? People who don't belong to a church truly have no, there's, there's, there's no pastoral leadership. They don't have to submit to anyone. I think that's why, that's the number one reason why I, I don't think you should join a church. You just want to be, you want to do your own thing. Uh, notice, keep watch over you as those who must give an account. I don't like that. I don't, I don't want to have to give an account for you. 
I don't want to give I don't want to have to give an account for Ray Cox. I have to. The Bible tells me I have to. Not only in that passage, but go to the next one. Acts twenty twenty eight. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the elders of the Ephesian church. Keep keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his, with his own blood. It's hard to know who is your flock if people won't join the church. How will you, who, who will you keep watch over? And finally, number five, a passage showing church membership. 1 Corinthians 12. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And so Paul tells us that the church is a body, and there's a head, and there's an ear, and there's a foot, and there's a hand, and there's an eye, and all of us are needed. And he's speaking about a local body of the church in the Corinthian church. In the Corinthian church, uh, it seems like everybody wanted to be the head, or they wanted to be the mouth. And of course, everyone can't be the head, and everyone can't be the mouth takes us to the next slide there, Lynn. So finally, why join a church? Uh, for the good of others. Why should you join here in Baptist? For the good of other people. First uh, Timothy 5, this is about widows. And the early church uh, took care of widows. There was no government help. And so uh, the early church took care of their own widows. And... Uh, got them apartments, got them places to live, paid for all their food, took care of them completely. And uh, let, me, let me suggest it takes a church membership to take that kind of an obligation on, to start caring for widows. Notice if any, any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Notice, the church helps those widows really in need. So uh, one of the reasons why you join a church is so that you can be committed to helping those who are needy. Go to the next slide. Hebrews 10. Why should you join? Notice, it's for others. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So when you go to church, the question is, how can I help others at church? And how can I help others today at church? I think a lot of times we, go to, we come to church and we go, okay, what, is it, what am I going to get today? What's in it for me? And part of the question is, it, what can I do for someone else today? How will I strengthen their faith? Um, we were looking at spiritual gifts earlier. This is a uh, bunny trail. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Um, I think I have the spiritual gift of teaching. And I don't have any other spiritual gifts. That's what I think. One of the great spiritual gifts is the gift of encouragement. And some people just have it. They can talk to you, and you come away, and you go, man, I feel better talking to them. I feel like I've been strengthened and my faith has been lifted up. We need encouragers. 
And if you've got the gift of encouragement, look at this. That's why you come to church. So that you can pour out that gift on other people and so that they can be strengthened. I love the gift of faith. I don't have the gift of faith. And some people in our congregation have the gift of faith. I remember somebody who had it. Bill McGregor had the gift of faith. Beautiful. And it's like you talk to him, and it doesn't matter what's happening in the world. He believes God's in control, and God's, God's doing great things. And even when he has a problem in his brain, I forget what he had, a tumor, or what did he have, Kathy, the tumor? He didn't worry about it. He trusted in God. And that was the, it was the gift of faith. And after you rub shoulders with somebody with the gift of faith, guess what? Your faith is strengthened. Um, Claude Sabrin had that gift, the gift of faith. Just trusting in God, and you just talk to him, and it just oozes out of him. And if you have the gift of faith, a wonderful gift, we need you rubbing shoulders in our church so that other people's faith will be strengthened. That's why we go to church, not just for the pastor. Okay, I'm, getting, I'm starting to preach now. <laughs> Let's go to the next slide. We've got a long way to go. Why join? For others. Notice 1 Corinthians 12. Everybody's given a spiritual gift. Why are you given a spiritual gift? To each one, that's all of you, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. The Holy Spirit's been poured out in your life, and He's enabled you to help His people for the common good. Not for your good. For the common good. For other people. Okay, let's go on. Next slide. Why join? For your own good. Now, everything that I just had that, was, that said that joining was for the good of others... That's also for you, right? Not only are we doing it for others, but if everyone here comes with the idea, I'm going to serve others, guess what? That helps me too. I'm, I'm one of the others. But notice this passage, Romans 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. That's what we should be doing. When he says neighbors, he's talking about our fellow Christians. We should be pleasing our fellow Christians for their good to build them up so they can be stronger in Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Go to the next slide. For your good. Ephesians 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I don't like that. Submitting to one another. Right? So in a sense, I have to submit to everyone here. Out of fear of Christ. Next slide. Why join for your leaders? Um, let me just read the passages. We don't have time to look at them. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Timothy 5. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. I guess I'm the ox that's treading out the grain 
so I deserve to have a little grain, I guess. Isn't that crazy that that's the best passage they could find to say, help, help, help out your leaders? Don't muzzle an ox. Just to humble me. Yeah, thanks. And, and Hebrews 13. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. All right. And finally, next slide, Lynn. For unbelievers, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. I like that. You must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, why join a church? Well, we do it so that we can say, you know, something. we're going to be committed to each other and we're going to love each other no matter what. No matter what. And that's how the world will know that we're followers of Jesus, when we love his followers, when we love his followers. Now, what does this have to do with Huron Baptist Church? Uh, people all the time are asking me, how do you become a member at Huron? Three things you have to do. Number one, you must have an interview with the pastor and or deacons. Number two, you must take a membership class, and it takes two to four hours. And thirdly, uh, there must be a vote taken on you, usually at the board level. That's what it takes to become a member of Huron Baptist. Um, 